All right, welcome to G5 Football Daily's podcast, the audio accompaniment to our coverage for Sports Illustrated's Fan Nation Network. Joe Londergan here with you as always, joined once again by Eric Henry. Uh, he writes for 247 Sports and specifically Horns 247 covering the Texas Longhorns, but also one of the most knowledgeable people about G5 football you'll ever meet. Eric, it's great to talk to you as always, ready to jump into it. And um, yeah, it, it's been a minute since we since we chatted. We didn't do a second episode last week, which was ultimately my call. But, uh, you know, we needed a break. We've uh, we've been pushing it pretty hard. We've burned the midnight oil, as they say. As they say, Joe, appreciate you having me on again on this lovely platform that you have provided to talk a little G5 football. Gives me a chance to break away from the power fives a bit and tap into my first love and my uh, my first paycheck in the business as well. <laughs> um, well, actually, that was high school. But you know what I mean? My first full time paycheck. So, yeah, I uh, appreciate you having me on, sir, and ready to jump into things. What was your first real job, Eric? Do you remember? Um, in sports or just overall? Overall. Yeah, my first real job was I worked at Target. Uh, the first job I ever had was I was uh, – I'll, I'll tell the story pretty quickly. So, yeah. um, I, I graduated high school uh, pretty early. I graduated just shy of my 17th birthday, and uh, – my my parents, despite my uh, you know burgeoning football career, were, were not too keen on me starting college at that young of an age. Uh, so they had said, "Hey, you know, you can keep in contact with with collegiate coaches." And I obviously ended up doing that and, and spent a, a year uh, playing <laughs> uh, NAIA football. But before then, they wanted me to attend uh, community college classes. So I was already bummed up, but having to be home right for another like six months until they felt I was appropriate age. But um, I uh, got a job at Target and uh, yeah, I was working electronics uh, and uh, gosh, what was the, I think it was called like the, oh no, no, the, um, uh, um, not like home office, like the gardening section, whatever that, that section was called. It's been a long time. I can't even remember what that housewares? section was called. Not, not housewares, like the, um, the outdoor section, you know? Um, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't remember what, what that section was called, but that was my first ever uh, check. And then I did that and then uh, went to uh, lovely Jacksonville University, play a little football for a year before I realized my future was not in the NFL and uh, probably should start working at this whole journalism thing. <laughs> never say never though. You know, scouts could come calling any day. <laughs> you know, Joe, on, on, on a previous incarnation of this podcast, we had uh, Marshall head coach, Charles Huff. And I only mentioned that uh, because we'll talk about Marshall a little bit later on, but you know, I feel like Coach Huff and I both bonded uh, when you know we asked him, or I think you asked him, right? Him going from uh, a fullback to an offensive lineman. He said he just kept eating his way uh, out of the position, and uh, I remember saying to Coach Huff on the podcast, "Yeah, I, I, I too was you know a former fullback, but I had all the things Coach Huff are looking for except talent. Uh, so I, I think that's going to be the, the biggest impediment in my uh, NFL comeback." <laughs> well. Regardless, I'm glad you're doing this with me. I think my first job was uh, in food service. I, I it, that part of my life's a little blurry, but I know around age like 14, which may or may not have been legal, uh, did work for a nice little catering company. I was terrible at it. They were happy to see me quit <laughs> a few years <laughs> later, but uh, uh, yeah, got a lot of uh, got a lot of free food out of it, which uh, brings us to eating out of positions and and so forth. <laughs> All right, let's jump into some G5 football. 
uh, things we learned uh, real quick before we do this, did want to give uh, a bit of news that uh, people are probably interested in or people might be interested in for those that follow our coverage of uh, Army. Uh, Andre Miller, defensive lineman for them, who uh, was carted off in that Syracuse game after that head-to-head hit with his teammate. Uh, he is uh, out of the hospital doing just fine per uh, the Army SIDs there. Uh, not going to rush back to the field, obviously, but – we know those head and neck injuries can uh, take a turn for the worse very quickly and seems like things uh, are, are looking up for the young man. He's, uh, you know, obviously up and walking around out of the hospital doing OK. So very good to hear that. Um, so with that out of the way, let's jump into things we learned. Uh, Eric, my first thing this week is I really hate this FCS transition rule where you aren't eligible yeah. for postseason play or for league titles for two years. Uh, why? Because James Madison, I think, are the best team in the Sun Belt currently. I think you can make the argument that if they were eligible for a bull bid, um, they would be a New Year's Six, New Year's Six contender. Um, and also, Jacksonville State very much look like a team that would go to a bowl game if they weren't in this situation. I'm not surprised by that first one, but I am a little bit by that second one. Uh, Rich Rodriguez has this team playing well in all three phases right now, offense, defense, and special teams. Joe, I'm not surprised by the Jacksonville State one for a couple of reasons. One, Rich Rodriguez, I mean, I know his his last few stints at the Power 5 level didn't go necessarily as he would have liked, but he's certainly a, a darn good football coach. I'm not saying that, that you're saying that he's not, but, you know, I think that aspect didn't surprise me. The second thing is when you look at Jacksonville State's roster, I mean, whether it's, you know, uh, Anwar Lewis, uh, Zion Webb, they have – talented playmakers uh in in terms of you know being on, on offense and I, I just again when you're making the, the the transition you know going from the uh fcs level now to the fbs level if you got you know a steady quarterback a steady run game i i think those things really matter you know again talking about uh zion webb and, and logan smothers who, who both have, have seen time but both of them are, are veterans right webb's a seventh year player and logan smothers is uh, an upperclassman, a junior as well, um, an upperclassman as well, a junior. So between him, uh, as I mentioned, Zion Webb getting carries, you know, Malik Jackson getting carries as well. Uh, not too surprised at the level of success they've had. Regardless, it's it's fascinating to watch them play as well as they have. And you mentioned Malik Jackson leading uh, Conference USA in rushing yards right now with 376 through four games. So we'll see how they continue to develop. Uh, my second thing, Eric, I think we saw two young guys who have pretty high ceilings have really solid days. Uh, first one was Byron Brown at uh, USF in that, uh, that big win. They had their first win over an FBS program in over two years. And then out on the West Coast, Ashton Genty at Boise State. Uh, filling in for the injured George Halani and really just showed how physical of a guy he is. I was really starting to think that they weren't going to get that running game going in the early part of that game. And then once he got hot, he got hot. There were multiple plays I saw where he uh, got that first hit uh, three or four yards behind the line of scrimmage and he turned it into like six, seven yard gains, like incredibly, <laughs> incredibly strong, strong runner. Um, I, I'm really curious to see how he goes. Uh, forward with his football career a true sophomore um, we saw him a little bit in the bowl game against north texas for the broncos last season and then uh, brown true freshman but he's he's a big dude and he's drawing uh hendon hooker comparisons from his head coach which is 
uh, I wouldn't take that too lightly because Hendon Hooker is really good. Joe, I'm only mentioning this because I was literally going to make a point about Brown's play last year because the first time I saw him was against US, UCF. He's a redshirt freshman. Ah, okay. I I stand corrected, but still, <laughs> I think the point I think the point stands. He's uh, he's really coming into his own as a young guy, and uh, if he continues to get better and continues to develop under uh, Alex Golish, who seemingly pretty pretty good at at developing young quarterbacks and showed that he can do so at Tennessee and UCF, then they might really have something. I don't know about I'm not ready to make a too bold of a statement about USF. Um, just yet, because as we said, just one of their first really solid games as a team, um, this season, obviously they had the, the Alabama game, but, um, yeah, uh, rice is who they beat this past week. Um, and even with some of the issues that rice have, that's, that's not an easy team, uh, to keep in check, especially with how good Luke McCaffrey is. But anyway. Yeah, Joe. So, I mean, really the thing with, with Byron Brown, that I think I can speak to having a chance to see him last year. I was, you know, I'm a graduate at UCF and he got his, the second career start down the stretch against UCF, a game that, you know, quite frankly, USF, as you talked about, they've had their struggles against FBS competition over the past two years. So they were uh, massive underdogs. And I remember that game. I don't have the final score offhand, but he had uh, a game. Okay. There we go. It's 46, 39. Yeah. So a game that you saw an out, an offensive outburst, from the Bulls that quite frankly hadn't played a team tough uh, all season uh, the way they played UCF, of course, their rival, and of course, that, that one being the final uh, war on I-4 game, so certainly a lot of incentive for USF. But yeah, he's certainly someone who, uh, you know, Joe, there, and I do want your, your opinion on this. The folks in Tampa, my hometown, uh, mm-hmm. the local paper there, the, the St. Pete uh, Times, they are starting to use the Q word. And do you know what the Q word is? First, first off, if I say Q in relation to USF, are you? Or do you have a, a guess as what the Q word may be? Croissant? No, I don't know what the Q word is. Quentin. Ah, Quentin Qu- Flowers. Yeah. Quentin Flowers. Yes. So it's a little bit early, but I, I think you can't blame the folks there down in Tampa for getting a little excited because, quite frankly, they haven't had excitement at the quarterback position since Quentin Flowers. Yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right. Anytime you have a young guy that you start comparing to arguably the greatest offensive player that uh, that school's had, it it makes me tighten up a little bit. I think that's that's a lot of pressure to put on a redshirt freshman. So my final point from the weekend, Eric, I probably should have figured this out prior to this week, but we're just not going to know what the full potential of this new look army offense actually is until next year at the earliest. That being said, I do really like Bryson Daly as a quarterback. I love that he hits like a Mack truck. I mean, if you go back and watch some of his highlights from uh, these last two games, it they've been him running the ball and him just just trucking uh, the defender on the first hit and then getting an extra two or three yards after the fact. Um, I do think he has great field vision. However, just a wildly inconsistent passer right now. That was my big takeaway from Army's loss to Syracuse this week. He he was overthrowing guys a lot, and I think that's just going to come with uh, you know more time because you know frankly, I mean I, I'm, I didn't even know Army really had quarterbacks <laughs> until this season the way that uh, they've traditionally played in that triple option system. But um, I think he'll get there, but he's definitely not there right now. Yeah, Joe, just a quick point on that, right? I think the, the last few ball games, 
21 pass attempts, 17 pass attempts, 11 pass attempts. I know the 11 isn't necessarily, you know, blown in a way, but quite frankly, that's that's high for the Army that we're used to. And the 21 mm-hmm. pass attempt is unheard of. So definitely if Army is going to throw the football a little bit more, you're going to need at least mid-50s to 60% completion percentage. But as you said, mm-hmm. I think that will come with time and, you know, just quite frankly, reps. I mean, there's only so much of that you can replicate in games and uh, a bigger point in my mind joe as someone you know again covers the 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 p5 ranks here in the state of texas you're if you're army you're not getting a quarterback who's gone through the quarterback circuit that quite frankly exists nowadays right where you you start throwing at 10 11 12 and then you, you go to your elite 11s and things like that so when you're talking about a quarterback at army there's about someone who truly is in the old school style of quarterbacks, Joe. Some, when I mean old school, I mean, you know, maybe that, that, that 90s uh, type of top recruit, right? Or, or 90s quarterback recruit where, yeah, the only football they played it was high school. Outside of that, they're not going to camps or, you know, um, seven on sevens and things like that. So uh, I, I would say, you know, for Army fans, listen, just be patient when it comes to the passing game because you're dealing with a more developmental player. Yeah, it'll get there. It'll get there. Next thing, Eric, we have a G5 team back in the AP top 25. And that's great to see. It's the Fresno State Bulldogs. They come in to this week at number 25. Uh, They're undefeated. They uh, just blasted a pretty bad Kent State team, 53 to 10 uh, this past week, um, and just rolled through Arizona State uh, the week before that. Um, But they got two P5 wins, which is really nice to see for Jeff Tedford's squad. Um, I personally think they are a very uh, higher, uh, they have a very high chance of getting back to the Mountain West Championship game, which we're going to talk about with our guest this week. It's uh, Jeremy Moss from uh, Mountain West Conference Wire. He's done a lot of uh, Mountain West coverage over the last uh, few years, so you're definitely going to want to tune into that. But regardless, um, so far in this season, they're uh, second in the FBS in turnover margin with at plus eight with a 10 gain, two loss. They're top 25 in total defense with an average of 297.5 yards per game. Uh, they're, they're playing really, really solid. We've talked about uh, Mikey Keene and what he's done so far there. He looks really solid. He's got great chemistry with Eric Brooks, who's ninth in the FBS with uh, just under 450 receiving yards on 32 catches so far. They've got some dudes, so I, I, we're still waiting. I think on their first, uh, you know, big. We're still waiting on their first conference win. Obviously, I think their first big test was this Purdue team, um, and them getting it done there was obviously huge. Um, I don't, I don't, I think we're going to look back at this Purdue team at the end of this season and say, well, they they weren't very good. But still, it's very hard to go into a Big Ten uh, stadium like they did and, and walk away with a win and walk away with a definitive win. But, you know, every game that we've seen uh, Fresno State play so far, there's been zero doubt that they were the better team on that field and the more athletic team to boot. Yeah, Joe, I mean, we talk about them uh, cracking the AP top 25. And I I think if we're trying to project long term here and if the question is, you know, are they a a candidate for New Year's Six game? They mm-hmm. certainly are one. I, I don't necessarily know if I'd call them the leading candidate just yet. I, I don't know if you want to uh, kind of have a chance to opine there, but I'll just kind of give you my general thoughts on the Bulldogs. Listen, I think everything starts with Mikey Keene. Um, I know I've kind of been repetitive about him over the past couple of podcasts, but that's only because I really think he was a guy who would have been competitive 
uh, and would have excelled for UCF at, at that level uh, last year in the American, now in the Big 12 Conference, right? So for me to get a quarterback of that caliber, uh, you know, in, 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 the, in the Mountain West, that's that's what you need, right? If you're going to be a team uh, at this level, the, the G5 level, that's going to make a push not only for conference titles, but again, to play in that New York Six game. So again, um, very much a well-rounded team, but I think having a a true driver, a true, you know, kind of, you know, someone who really can can make things happen after the quarterback position is, is big for Bulldogs. On that New Year's Six note, I do think that Fresno State is the leading candidate so far. I think if they finish undefeated, that's, you know, that's it. They're definitely going to the New Year's Six. Um, so far, we have uh, six teams in the G5 left undefeated ahead of week five. Fresno State, Air Force, Liberty, Georgia State, James Madison, and Marshall. Georgia State, I we'll talk about them in a little bit. Um, Air Force, very very solid. Um, they they do you know we know Air Force football. They do one or two things very very well. They're not a super well rounded team. They're not exactly multi dimensional, but my God, is that running game really good? Um, Liberty, I don't know. We'll see. I think if they keep playing the way they did against FIU, then maybe we revisit this topic in a couple of weeks. But uh, Kate on Salter, certainly very good. Uh, James Madison, still postseason ineligible, unfortunately. And then uh, Marshall playing really well right now. But, you know, as we kind of saw last year when they came off that that huge Notre Dame win, kind of fell off the wagon. So I'm kind of waiting to see if that happens this week after that Virginia Tech win last week. So that brings me back to my original point. Yeah, I think Fresno State are the leading candidate right now. A lot can change. We're all, we've only played, you know, uh, four full weeks of the college football season. But right now, I'm not convinced that it's not Fresno State as the uh, most legitimate near six team from the G5. I will make this point succinctly, Joe. I look at Fresno State's schedule. I think Nevada, Wyoming, Boise State, even Utah State or UNLV, but to a lesser extent. But I think uh, Wyoming, Nevada, and those two, and those three um, in conjunction, I think that's a much tougher road than Liberty's road, which is Sam Houston State, Jacksonville State, Middle Tennessee, Western Kentucky, La Tech, ODU, UMass, and UTEP. UTEP mm-hmm. is struggling uh, mightily. They're still trying to get their offense on, on track with Gavin Hardison. UMass, we know that, you know, how much of a rebuild that's been over the past, mm-hmm. quite frankly, decade. Uh, ODU, Ricky Ronnie's club, possibly, you know, a little regional rivalry there, maybe, but again, that's that's one contest. Louisiana Tech, Hank Bachmeyer, <clears throat> Sonny Cumbie's team with uh, Hank Bachmeyer quarterback. Uh, we'll see what happens there, but I think that's very much a winnable game, especially at home. Western Kentucky, uh, I'm going to come to them in a little bit uh, as to why I think that's a game that Liberty has for the taking. Middle Tennessee, Rick Stockstill's club, they are struggling to run the football after a couple of years of kind of getting that run game back on track. Those almost half-decade woes of getting running, getting yards on the running backs is a struggle. Uh, Jacksonville State, that one I guess you could say is 50-50. Sam Houston, that's going to be a win. So I'll only see two games really on Liberty's schedule that in my mind give me pause, whereas uh, I think the combination of those games for Fresno State is just tougher. Yeah. Any thoughts on Marshall's road for the next uh, few weeks? Yeah, let me pull up Marshall's schedule again because I know uh, you were really impressed with with Charles Huff's team. 
and so am I. I mean, listen, I, I'm always been a Charles Huff fan. Of course, I referenced him earlier in the podcast from even when he was in Conference USA, when that program was in Conference USA, very much been impressed with him. Clearly comes with that Nick Saban coaching tree. So they get ODU. And the big thing with Marshall over the past, again, you can say decade, even going back to the Doc Holiday days, mm-hmm. has been right when Thundering Herd fans get their hopes up, they somehow end up being let down. Right. Mm-hmm. So uh, ODU, uh, I think that game's very winnable. NC State, going to NC State, that one is interesting. And then, listen, you know, it's the Sun Belt, man. So Georgia State, that 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 could very well be a loss. James Madison, that could very well be a loss. Uh, Coastal Carolina, you got to go to Coastal to play against a man who self-proclaims pisses teal in Grayson McCall. All right? That ain't going to be easy. Uh, mm-hmm. Going to App State, again, not in, uh, that's another um, – uh, environment that's not easy. Georgia Southern, an improved team. Uh, you go to USA, to Mobile, and then get Arkansas State at home. So yeah, that's that again is another one like Fresno State in my mind that, uh, I mean, if, I don't know if it's like talking about them in the undefeated realm, but there could be some losses this year that uh, once again disappoint Thundering Herd fans. If they do get into that conversation later in the season for that New Year's Six bid, it's going to be because Rashin Ali is back to his old self. Missed most of last season uh, with some injury stuff that uh, a lot of which was not made public, but he looked phenomenal in this Virginia Tech game. Broke off a few long runs, uh, notably that that 50, uh, I think it was about 55-yard touchdown. Um, he's got such good vision as a ball carrier. He's not the, he doesn't have the best like top speed, but he just like, he just flows through these defenses. You know what I mean? He just like weaves through you. Like his vision is so good. He just knows exactly where his pathway is and credit to his O-line too. I mean, they're, they're playing pretty well in that game as well. Um, and it's great when you have that to lean on as well. When you have a younger quarterback like Cam Fancher, who's not, who's not a bad quarterback by any means, but clearly still has a little ways to go in development under Clint Trickett. Yeah, Joe, just a quick, uh, to, you know, follow up. On uh, on Rashin Ali, yeah, I mean, I, I think you hit the nail on the head there. Obviously, was was dealing with some off the field things that you know were personal and going through him that you know kept him uh, away from the team for the majority of last year. But getting him back has been huge, especially. Uh, and, and and you talk about Cam Fancher, I think that was big for Charles Huff, right? Because I mean, again, I'm a, a fan of him as a coach. The one decision that I, I think he got to question a little bit is, you know, he it, it seemed to be a. <laughs> let's call it a mutual parting of the ways, but it certainly was a little more nuance of that between uh, he and Grant Wells, right? Of course, now at Virginia mm-hmm. Tech, um, you know, not having him there in, uh, in Marshall, that, that was a, a real decision. And of course, you know, now Wells is, uh, you didn't play last week against his old club, but still, you know, that was a guy who was, if memory serves me correct, Joe, wasn't he the Conference USA freshman our newcomer of the year, I think, is first year starting, right? So to go away from him and, and you know, choose to go define a quarterback, I think that was a decision that, you know, could certainly question. But now getting a guy like Rashin Ali back helps uh, justify those types of decisions with whoever you have back there, a quarterback. Yeah, and I mean, you go back to last year, too. I mean, it looked like Henry Columbia was the guy, but they ended up going with Fancher for most of the way. Um, I'm trying to double check that. uh that Grant Wells article, he was named to the CUSA all freshman team first team as the quarterback. I think that was the extent of it. He's the only freshman QB to late to make 
the league's all-conference first team in history. Okay, so there you go. So I don't I don't know that he was newcomer of the year, but certainly was one of the better uh, quarterbacks in Conference USA in the early part of his Marshall career. But it just it just never quite uh, worked out in the later part of his time there. And again, we didn't see him uh, play for Virginia Tech in this uh, this last game, which you know I, I think ultimately they needed a little bit more mobility at the position, and they the guy they went with there gave them that for sure. But I don't know. I I, th- I like what Huff has done from a personnel standpoint so far, right? Like he has talked about how he, he likes guys with that kind of old school football player mentality of like, you know, I, I don't necessarily agree with the verbiage, but like he, he doesn't like soft guys. Right. And the guys that he has brought in so far seem like they're fitting the mold for him, especially on defense. I mean, you look at Owen Porter, I mean, my God, that is a scary human being, right? Like he's, I think he's going to get an NFL shot just with like the motor he's displayed and kind of just being a disruptive force in the, uh, in the backfield uh, alone. Like, I I really like what I'm seeing out of him. No, sure. And I'll just, you know, add on pretty quickly. I mean, of course, Huff deserved the opportunity to shape that roster in, in the image that he wants it to be. Right. And that's going to take, I don't care who you are as a coach, it's going to take a couple of years. So, uh, you know, no qualms there. How often do you think Charles Huff thinks about the Roman Empire? (laughs) I'm going to ask you on the fly, Joe. Why did you ask that question? I don't know. I was, (laughs) I was gonna, I was gonna ask you, but I wanted to try to weave this into a conversation about actual football things as as smoothly as I can. And clearly, after seven years of doing this podcast, I'm still quite bad at it. So, so hang on, hang on. So you did not see a tweet of mine that's related to that, or did you? I actually didn't. Did you tweet about it? Okay. The reason I said that, the reason I asked why you asked Joe is yeah. <laughs> there is a, a young reporter who I'm, I'm going to leave anonymous on the Texas uh-huh. beat. I, I believe he is an intern um, at the Austin American Statesman who, you know, listen, Joe, you know, the, the age that we are, you know, we're, we're millennials, but we're, we're not quite young anymore, right? Um, My back would agree, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, I mean, we're, we're, uh, we're, we're not quite of the, the TikTok generation. Um, this young reporter decided no matter how many L's he took, Joe, he was going to ask every single player who was made available how often they think of the Roman empire. Oh boy. And as you can imagine, that question died several lonely deaths in a press scrum that, you know, usually uh, <laughs> on a, on a regular Monday availability of Texas is about 20 deep. And, and he used one of his questions and I'm listen, I'm not critiquing him. Like mm-hmm. if, if you're going to do it, you commit to it. Right. I mean, listen, this intern is not the only person on that beat who will ask wacky questions. Again, I'm not going to name a reporter who asked wacky questions, right? It's not me. Um, yeah. But yeah, that, that question died, uh, I think, six lonely deaths. So that's, uh, that's why I, I asked if, if, why you asked. I, I didn't realize I just was uh, on your brain. That's two-thirds of a cat's lives. Damn. <laughs> Correct. No, I don't know. I've... No, I've I'd never think about the Roman Empire. That it's so weird that that's like a thing. But I like how the general cultural zeitgeist has run with it. I've enjoyed the memes. I've enjoyed the memes. 
And and I guess I guess we should make it clear for the audience who doesn't know it. it Joe, I heard it as a TikTok thing. Is is that mm-hmm. what you're you heard it as well, or? I mean, here's the thing: because I'm in my 30s, I generally see all the stuff that's popular on TikTok when it makes its way to Instagram, like a month later. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. So I probably heard about it. I think I heard about it on Instagram first. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. So just, you know, for the audience, we didn't want to meet too much of an inside joke. I believe it is a TikTok uh, thing, but yeah, it's, it's a social media thing. That, that's, that's, that's where it came from. That wasn't just randomly on Joe's mind. <laughs> no, man. I, I, I mean, I, I like to think the majority of our audience is, I mean, old enough that they understand what, I don't know. Maybe I'm not. Do we have audience members that are like, you know, like past the point of like using social media at all? I I don't, I, I feel like we generally keep at the most, like our listeners are what, 10 to 15 years older than us. And even then, like it's permeated everybody. And you don't think that age is past using social media? what people in their mid forties. I mean, honestly, no, at this point, I think, I think that group of people got, you know, I don't think they're great at it or necessarily enjoy using it to the extent that younger people have it, but I don't know. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm delusional. Okay. No, I, I just, I just forgot to ask. (laughs) I don't know. Now we, now we at least have something for an audience poll, audience insights. Getting back to the G5 football stuff, Eric, uh, the team that we didn't talk too much about yet, uh, which was on purpose, uh, Georgia State, they're undefeated still um, playing really well. They got uh, they got that win over Coastal Carolina in Conway last week. Um, I've really liked seeing specifically what Marcus Carroll's doing. Uh, he has uh, he's one of these guys from uh, one of those uh, neighborhoods a little bit south of Atlanta proper, I believe. I, I forget which one. Um, but he's playing really, really well, leading the FBS in rushing touchdowns with eight. I believe he's fifth in the FBS in rushing yardage as well. And it's cool to see him get this opportunity because he sat behind a lot of uh, pretty good running backs at Georgia State the last couple of years, uh, Tucker Gregg most recently. Um, but anytime you can add that dimension to your offense, when you already have a guy like Darren Granger, who's this you know really solid dual threat guy at quarterback, then that's that's just awesome for Sean Elliott to have. And I found myself thinking the other day, if they still had Jamari Thrash, this Georgia State team might be borderline scary in terms of the talent. But, you know, they don't. But I think right now they they have some weapons to, you know, I I think it's worth talking about, like, are they legit, uh, you know, Sunbelt contender, at least in the East Division anyway. You took the words right out of my mouth at that last part, Joe, because I was going to say Darren Granger is someone who is finally turned the corner as having his best year of his career. And that's without 61 receptions over 1,100 yards of Jamari Thrash, who is now with Joe's uh, Louisville Cardinals. But Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, listen, the type of success they're having there, do I think they're for real? Yeah. To go to Coastal Carolina, which again, not an easy environment to play on national television for the Conway, South Carolina native and Darren Granger to go back home and get a win in front of his, you know, family and friends. Yeah. I think they are for real. You talk about Marcus Carroll, that defense as well. I, the only thing I, I, I will say is this, um, that does trouble me, Joe, is when you take a look at their splits here, um, teams are having, teams are having success 
throwing the football against them. They're allowing 311 yards through the air. Now they're uh, on the ground. They're only allowing 89, right? But, you know, it's the old adage. Uh, you know, typically it's why worry about passing when you can run. Well, in this case, it's why worry about running when you can pass, right? But mm-hmm. on the flip side, they're getting a lot of yards, a lot of offense. You know, 248 yards per game through the air and 191.3 on the ground. So definitely do think they are for real. But I, but if they're going to truly make a push in the Sun Belt, they're going to have to clean up some of those things uh, as far as uh, defense. Luckily for them, it's been bend, not break, right? Because despite the passing yards, teams are only uh, averaging 22.8 points uh, against them, which is like, I think that's 60, uh, let's take my numbers here, 62nd out of 133 FBS teams. So yeah, Joe, I mean, a, a lot to be excited about with, with Georgia State. I, I know it was written about on the website about how, you know, Georgia State's really been kind of waiting for this type of breakout year. I mean, they are, it, people may not realize this, they're very, you know, heavily uh, um, in terms of student population, uh, very much like, I don't want to say Atlanta's school, but they're Atlanta's public school. I guess we should put it that way, right? I mean, in terms of, mm-hmm. you know, being a, a big uh, school with, you know, certainly a lot of alumni there, kind of been waiting for this type of year since they decided to make the the jump to FBS football. And they've got a great location, Joe. I mean, I've driven past, um, I, I think it's called Georgia State Stadium now. I'm, I, I, it's the old Turner Field. Uh, I hope I got the, the naming right there as far as the, their stadium. But I've driven past it several times. And it's just, I mean, it, 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 it quite frankly, it's a Center Park Stadium is what it's called now. It, it's yep. Center Park Stadium. But, um, Joe, it is, it was called Georgia State Stadium. It, it's the location that, I mean, quite frankly, you probably think where the Braves should still be playing, like downtown Atlanta, as opposed yeah. to Cobb County. But no, I mean, it is just an excellent location. And what they've done as far as remodeling for football, too, uh, would love to get to a game there sometime. But yeah, uh, just definitely interested to see the success. And, and I want to see, you know, what the crowd looks like next time uh, they're at home. Yeah, I I hope I hope the the fans continue to support them the way that they have uh, the last few weeks. You know, we know that there's always like these small pockets of super, super passionate fans. But, you know, as we know, they were kind of doing their own program kind of a disservice by playing in uh, the Georgia Dome for a while there like that. That didn't really, uh, you know, even with as big of a student population that Georgia State has, the football program so young. And frankly, hasn't had a ton of success until this very second. They weren't going to fill that thing out. And I think that didn't exactly help perception of Sean Elliott's program. But now that they're actually starting to exceed expectations in terms of on-field performance, who knows? But I I asked Sean Elliott about this two weeks ago. Um, I asked him, how do you keep this team from getting complacent? And he kind of laughed at me, which, you know, is is fine. He basically said, like, if, if we're getting complacent uh, after a 3-0 and start and it's the first one in the history of the program, then that's a whole other issue. So he is really, you know, pushing this team and he feels pretty confident that it's working to, you know, go after as much as they can, go after as many wins as they can and be a legit Sunbelt contender. You know, I think everything else is uh, kind of gravy at that point. I don't think you want to get uh, too far ahead of yourself. But if they continue to play the way that they're playing and, you know, start just upsetting some of these teams in their own division, then that's going to be really that's going to be a really good thing for them. It's going to be a really good thing for this program in the future. 
Yeah. And Joe, I mean, listen, I don't blame you for asking the question because it's, yeah. a, it's a, in my mind, it was a good, a fair question, but I think his answer was also very fair as far as uh, not being complacent. Yeah. They've got a lot to play for. Certainly again, as I talked about, this is the type of year that they're having that's been waited for a long time. And especially, you know, given some of the losses they've had uh, in terms of players. Yeah. I mean, they, they should be, you know, chomping at the bit to see this thing through. They're certainly playing like it. So we'll see if that continues this week, uh, which brings us to our last segment of the night. Eric, what do you think are the most exciting matchups coming up this week? Well, Joe, let me just go to my list that I've jotted down here and I'm going to give you yep. four. Yeah. Let's start with middle Tennessee, Western Kentucky, hundred miles of hate. Mm -hmm. Two programs are in really interesting spots. Western at two and two. I know it was written about on the site that they were going to head to Troy and face a very good Troy defense that has the opportunity to, has the capability of shutting them down. And I'm not going to say they shut down, uh, you know, the, the Hilltoppers on the imagination, but their defense, Joe, allowing 369 yards passing to Gunnar Watson, I believe it was 369. Uh, no disrespect to Gunnar Watson, but, he, you know, he is not someone who can throw for 300 plus uh, most times. So they've got to get that fixed. In Middle Tennessee, you know, a team that's certainly, you know, one of the old Conference USA hangovers or, or, or you know, you know, uh, I guess a hangover is the way you could put it um, from the uh, the old um, incarnation of the league and mm -hmm. off to a rough start. So, you know, I know they certainly had higher expectations there, um, well, even though they're going through a quarterback transition, you know, with Nick Barriato. But, yeah, I mean, they certainly had higher expectations of competing and, and you know, losing – to your rival and going one and four, certainly one that uh, you don't want to see. And uh, I won't go four just because, you know, I, I think I don't want to, you know, delve in kind of cross to area you may want to cover. But uh, another one that I find really interesting, Joe, is South Alabama at James Madison. As you talked about, right, James Madison not eligible for postseason play, but they're having fun kicking the Sun Belts behind, you know, playing very good football since they've made the jump to FBS against a USA team that is, uh, you know, looking to get in, in the bowl hunt. So those are two games I'm keeping my eye on for sure. Okay. Um, yeah, I think both of those are really solid. Uh, I'll give you one matchup, um, an interconference matchup that is going to be fun this week. I think uh, Boise State at Memphis on ESPN2. Um, what we've seen from this Broncos team so far, a little bit of inconsistency. I mentioned uh, the George Helani injury. I think that is going to affect them uh, more than people think. Um, Taylor Green still kind of, you know, getting his feet under him, but Ashton Genty uh, doing a really nice job um, in Helani's steed until he gets back. I, I saw DJ Schram got hurt at the end of uh, that game last week for Boise State. If he can't come back, that's a big loss. Uh, but we'll see. And, you know, Memphis plays pretty well in the Liberty Bowl. I know this is, uh, you know, I don't want to say this is a make or break year for for Ryan Silverfeld. But, um, you know, as we've talked about, the expectations are certainly high uh, for just the Memphis program every single year. And, you know, getting to uh, that postseason berth that they want, uh, winning this kind of game is going to be good. And anytime you can beat um, a team that is nationally recognizable the way that Boise State is for you know, all their achievements over the last 25 years. Um, I think that's going to be big. Um, and any, honestly, any Memphis home game is, is usually pretty entertaining. And then we talked about Georgia state. They've got Troy this weekend, defending Sunbelt champs. Uh, Troy's getting better. I think um, that offensive line still needs work. I think we saw Gunnar Watson kind of play, um, 
play to what they were giving him in that regard. He his pocket presence was really solid. Like you said, he's not he's not the best. He hasn't historically been like the most amazing quarterback, but I think he did really well with what he had in that Western Kentucky game. So uh, we'll see if he can continue to do that because you mentioned that Georgia State defense. They've got some really imposing um, pass rushers in particular. So if they continue to bring that aspect of their game, like they brought it against Coastal Carolina, then that's going to be a tougher game than I think people um, are expecting when that one goes down in Atlanta on a ESPN Plus, where you can catch that one this weekend. Um, UL Monroe, App State. This App State team, for as much fun as they are and for as much fun as any Sean Clark team is, they're really bad on the road <laughs> the last two years. And this UL Monroe team, not amazing by any stretch of the imagination, but they do have two wins so far this year. So, you know, we'll see. I, I, I don't think, it, you know, it, I'll just say if App State does lose this game, and I think there's that's cause for serious concern. I don't think they'll lose this game, but they could give in the fact that they haven't won a road game yet this year. And I think they were one and four on the road last year. So something to keep an eye on. And then UNLV Hawaii, right? Like UNLV played really well against UTEP in that run game, but also UTEP is playing far below expectations this year. So I don't really know what to make of that. Um, and Hawaii looked better last week against New Mexico state, um, particularly on the defensive line. So I want to see how they can make that work for them against this offense in UNLV that likes to play at a really fast pace. Um, if you haven't watched UNLV yet this year, by the way, one of the more fun offensive, uh, teams in the G five, I think not the most balanced team, but they're fun. They've got some, uh, they've got a really athletic uh, quarterback in Doug Broomfeld. So if you want to give those other two games you had, Eric, we have, we have time. We, we have control over what goes on the show. So. Well, I, I wow. Okay. I, I didn't know that, you know, we had that. I thought that was only uh, reserved for you, but the fact that you're sharing it. Okay. And then I, I <laughs> privileged. <laughs> no, the, uh, okay. the other, the other two games are ECU and Rice, uh, Mike Bloomgren, you know, someone who's tried to solve his quarterback riddle for several years. We saw JT Daniels get banged up a little bit last week. I'm not sure what his status is entering this game, but if JT Daniels is healthy, uh, that's what I'm keeping an eye on because Rice, you know, really making a push, a very pivotal year for Mike Bloomgren and company. They need to get past five wins. You know, I think for for you know him to feel safe and be able to return uh, next season. The last one is one we kind of touch on ODU and Marshall again. Uh, big game for Charles Huff and company. I think trying to capitalize off of last week's win and, you know, really making that push. As I talked about before, you know, Marshall fans have been let down over the past, again, you could say past decade, as far as arriving to get their hopes up of feeling like it's a team that's going to push for, you know, a conference title. They have a slip up. Ricky Ronnie's club, ODU. Uh, you've talked about some of the guys that they have on their roster. They're definitely interested to see, you know, what they're able to provide uh, heading to Huntington. There's your games to watch this weekend. Check it out. Uh, we'll have an article about games to watch this week on the actual site later in the week as well. And uh, yeah, if you're curious of what our content strategy is for the podcast moving forward, basically this first episode of the week you're going to get is uh, what you just heard from. Uh, kind of a recap of what we saw over the weekend, 
a look ahead to the coming weekend. And then usually the second episode is going to be some more uh, fun kind of big picture conversations with uh, some guests. Uh, Jeremy Mouse is going to be our first one. Uh, Moss, I, need, I should probably ask him what he prefers we uh, pronounce his last name as. I believe it's Moss, um, but very knowledgeable, uh, very experienced uh, Mountain West expert is going to be our guest uh, on Thursday. We're going to talk Fresno. We're going to talk Air Force. We're going to talk New Year's Six, and we're going to talk the future of the Mountain West Conference, given this whole relegation thing that may or may not be happening in the next couple of years. So tune into that if you want to follow us on social media at G5 Football Daily. I'm at J-O-E-H-I-O underscore. Eric is at Eric C. Henry underscore. Go follow his work covering the Texas Longhorns if you need your Power 5 fix. And uh, yeah, I think that's it. Uh, subscribe, leave a comment, help this thing grow so we can continue doing it bigger and better than we've ever done before. Happy football watching, everybody. We'll talk to you soon.